All right, real quick. Here are four unrelated stories, all with a common bond. First, let's go back to November 20th, 1982. For the 85th time, Cal and Stanford are involved in a heated contest. After a wild game, Stanford, led by young John Elway, takes the lead with just four seconds left. The Stanford fans and band are already celebrating, and why shouldn't they? The game is over. One final play begins as Stanford kicks short to Cal. A mad scramble ensues. Laterals follow near tackles, then a blind over-the-shoulder lateral. A mad race to the end zone. Down goes the Stanford trombonist as the touchdown is scored. The unthinkable happens, and Cal wins. As it turns out, it wasn't over. How about this one? Meet the Lilies, Russell and Terry. It's 2001. Their 10-year marriage has been a constant source of frustration. A vicious cycle of selfishness, fighting, and isolation has left them both exhausted, angry, and done. Never mind the vows. Never mind the two young boys. This one is beyond hope. This marriage is over. Following their divorce, Russell becomes a follower of Christ, and Terry begins to notice the transformation taking place in Russell. Hardened hearts soften. The relationship begins to heal. Forgiveness is sought and granted. In 2007, they remarry. The one that became two is now one again. Then there's Raylene Kuferschmidt. It's January 2008. Ray suffers a cerebral hemorrhage. Declaring her brain dead, the doctors remove her breathing tubes. Knowing that it's over, the hospital releases Ray to her family so she can be taken home to die comfortably. Meanwhile, Ray's family plans her funeral. But someone forgot to tell Ray that it was over. At home, Ray suddenly wakes up. She's checked again by her doctors, who cannot believe that she's still alive, much less alert and healthy. Funeral plans have now turned into vacation plans for Ray and her family. Logically devoid of hope, legally divorced, literally dead, everyone thought it was over. It's not the first time. Flashback almost 2,000 years. A man claiming to be the long-anticipated Messiah is unfairly accused. Offered up to the lying crowds by a Roman official, the supposed Savior is flogged, mocked, tortured, and beaten. He is nailed to a tree and crucified. He dies and is buried. Hopes that he is the Messiah fade away. It is finished. Friends scatter. Disciples hide. Evil celebrates, and for three days, it is over. But on the third day, there's an empty grave. Evil has lost its victory. Death has lost its sting. Suddenly, miraculously, the only thing that is now over is hopelessness. Four stories, one message. It's not over, even when it's over.
So we've been this new series, Why Did Jesus, dot, dot, dot. First week we looked at why did Jesus um, live. Last week we looked at why did Jesus die. Today we're going to look at why did Jesus rise. Now one of the things that I bring up quite often at funerals, I don't always do exactly the same message at funerals, but, but um, one of the things I bring up, because a lot of people are thinking it, because, see, I do, some, I do some funerals for people that I know are Christ followers. I've done some funerals for people who, who their lives preach their funeral. It's real easy. And then I've done funerals for people that, that I, don't, I know are not Christ followers. And I've done some, people, some funerals for people that are, that are marginal Christ followers. But one of the things I bring up, is, because a lot of people in the crowd are thinking it is, what if this whole Christian thing, what if, the, what if their ideas are really just wishful thinking? Because for a lot of non-Christians, this idea of a good God who lives in a perfect place with no pain, suffering, or evil is just too good to be true. And so these well-intentioned people would say something to you like, well, that's okay for you, but that's not what I believe. And you ask, well, um, what do you believe? And they, they may tell you a few things and you say, where did you get that? And, and if they're real honest, they'll say, well, it's kind of this buffet where I picked this and this and this and this, and I just kind of put it all together. And, and that's what I believe. And so you show them some Bible verses, but they're not convinced that the Bible's accurate. So they, they aren't convinced that you know what you're talking about. And then they say to you, how do you know you're right? Mama told me. Mama said, foosball is of the devil. Just seeing if you know any of your movies. Mama said, life is like a box of chocolates. Mama said, um, or you say, well, it's in the Bible, or I just know it's true, and, and, uh, and they, they, they're not convinced. And see, then what they do is they lump you, Christians, because this is what most people do. They lump all of Christianity in with all the other world religions. Now, believers know there's a huge difference. One huge difference is that all other world religions, you have to be good enough to make it into heaven. Christians... We believe nobody's good enough. Shoot, we believe bad people are going to be in heaven. Which makes you wonder, why aren't more people becoming Christians? Because that makes a lot more sense than trying to earn your way. Because I know I'm not good enough. Anybody here good enough? No, I I don't understand that. Um, That's one distinction. No one is good enough. But there's a bigger distinction. And in fact, it is the biggest distinction between Christian and all other world religions that we're going to look at today. And you can use this one at parties. I give you permission. First, let me tell you two things that the foundation of Christianity is not. Number one, the foundation of, of our faith is not teaching. Every other religion, the foundation is someone's teaching. Muslims have Muhammad. Mormons have Joseph Smith, Jehovah's Witnesses have Charles Taz Russell, and the Scientology has L. Ron Hubbard. You just go on and on. People naturally have a leader for their religion, and so people think we have the prophet Jesus. But let me tell you that the foundation of Christianity is not the teaching of Jesus. And some of you are about to pick up a brick. Hang on, not yet. It is not the teaching, and this sets us apart. The foundation of Christianity is not a philosophy of life. It's not even a worldview. In every other world religion, you adopt someone else's philosophy for life, but not in Christianity. So the foundation is not teaching. Number two, the foundation is not our faith. Now, if you're a non-Christian, this is the hardest thing for non-Christians to understand, is this faith thing, because they think we just believe blind faith. Just believe, man. Why do you believe? I don't know. If you just believe enough, man, you'll see God, right? Right? And non-Christians say, that's stupid. 
Because they know just believing in something, is it makes as much sense as saying, I believe if I turn right out here on 155, I believe if I drive far enough down the road, there's going to be a McDonald's. I believe. How long is it going to take you to find a McDonald's if you turn right on 155? Not, no, no, no. If you stay on 155, you ain't finding a McDonald's, right? So it makes no sense just to believe. Just believing something enough doesn't make it true, and that's not the foundation of Christianity. So it's not teaching. Foundation is not teaching. Foundation is not faith. Just believe it enough and it'll be true. The foundation of Christianity is an event. One specific event that happened one specific morning about 2,000 years ago. It's not the teaching of Christ. It's not even the death of Christ. Lots of people died. Not the crucifixion of Christ. Lots of people were crucified. The foundation of Christianity is one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the foundational point of all that we are as Christians. Now, the fact that Christianity works in marriage, that's a benefit. The fact that, that it works in relationships and business and parenting, those, those are benefits. It's not the foundation of Christianity. See, when you follow Christ with all of your heart, your relationships are going to get better. That's one of the benefits. Other benefits are you'll have peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You'll have confidence. You'll have help and weakness, comfort, joy, purpose, security, freedom from your past fulfillment. When I do my, the, the 101 class we're going to do in a couple of weeks, I'll talk about these benefits of Christianity. And just if you look at the benefits, it makes sense to follow Christ, but those are not the foundation. They're just benefits of following Christ. The foundation and the biggest difference in Christianity and every other other religion is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. Because let me ask you, what other founder of any other religion has a holiday to celebrate his empty tomb? I'm listening. None. Hmm. That means Christianity is unique. If you begin to discuss Christianity with somebody who's not a Christian, who, has, who follows another world belief, they'll begin to talk to you about prophets. They'll compare, my prophet's bigger than your prophet, my prophet's stronger than your prophet, my prophet's teaching is better than your prophet. I just say, your prophet's dead because all of their prophets eventually died. In fact, in some of those religions, you are required to visit the tomb of their dead prophet sometime in your lifetime to prove that you're devoted to that prophet's teaching. And, and, you know, when, when their prophet died, their followers were like, oh man, we've got to keep his teaching alive. Our prophet was so smart. We've got to take his teaching all over the world. Let's keep the dream alive. And they start spreading their teaching. Do you know what Jesus' followers did when he died? They hid because they thought they were going to be next. This is a huge distinction between Christianity and every other world religion because the other religions, let's keep the, let's keep the dream alive. When we find the, the followers of Jesus and scripture, when you find them in the upper room, they're hiding in fear. It's not the let's keep the dream alive. It's the let's keep us alive rally that's going on up there. We must hide because we're going to be next. Then they went fishing. I don't blame them for that. I, I totally understand going fishing. When I don't know what to do, I go wet a hook and there's something about getting a tug. And, uh. When Jesus was crucified, everyone thought it was game over. The, the Romans were like, finally, 
We can rest and, and everything can get back to normal. The, the Jews were like, um, well, maybe things are good. And the Romans are thinking the Jews are going to settle down because the Romans thought that Christianity was just a little branch off of Judaism. And they thought the Jews were nuts. But as long as they kept the peace, then they were going to let them stay in power. And they're like, oh, finally it's over. And the disciples were hiding because it was over. Because when Jesus died, everybody said, we're done. Now, if Jesus had only focused on good teaching, like The golden rule. That's such a nice teaching. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a nice teaching. We like that. If he'd focused on that, or if he'd focused on God is love, because everybody loves that one. Everybody loves that God is love. Everybody talks about God is love. If he just focused on that teaching, we could understand maybe his his followers going, we got to keep this dream alive. But Jesus went too far because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you have seen me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way unto the Father except through me. And everybody knew he was claiming to be equal with God. And that's the teaching that got him killed. And that's the teaching they all said, he died, he must be a fraud. Why, why keep alive the dream of a fraud? of someone that we don't even know for sure. We thought he was God. He said he was God. He's not. He so clearly identified himself with God that when he died, everybody thought, it's over. How could God allow himself to be beaten, to be tied up, to be tortured, and nailed to a cross? How could God allow? God wouldn't do that, would he? So when you look at the beginning of Christianity and the beginning of every other world religion, there is zero comparison because all the others, let's keep the dream alive, Christians were running and hiding in fear. And three days later, something happened that changed the course of history. And it changed these cowardly men into guys who turned the world upside down and eventually died for their faith. They went out not because of what Jesus said. His teaching did not motivate them to go out, although there was good teaching They went out not because of the miracles, because remember, he did some awesome miracles. When he's in the boat, you know, he's asleep. They wake him up. Oh, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus stands up. Oh, you men of little faith. And he looks at the waves and he goes, be still. And the waves and the wind are perfectly still. You remember what the disciples said? They went, I I have an active imagination. I went, I, I think they went, who's this guy? Because that's what the scripture says. They said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him and they worshiped him not when he's dead they didn't remember the miracles he healed somebody he touched lepers healed them he raised people from the dead they were there when he called Lazarus out but when he died they thought it was over so the miracles didn't didn't um, motivate them to go and tell the world about him what, what ripped them off of their scared little butts and got them to go out and turn the world upside down was they saw a dead man that everybody knew was dead walking and it rocked their world. And so they said, you can do whatever you want to to us. We will follow him. And see, he rose from the dead and overnight thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem abandoned thousands of years of their culture and their worship history and they became Christ followers. Not because they heard a good sermon, but because they saw Jesus die, 
Not because they saw Jesus die, they'd seen lots of deaths, but because they saw Jesus alive. Thousands abandoned their faith of their families overnight because of an event that was so undeniably true that you would have to be a fool not to believe it. Hundreds of people walking around Jesus, walking around Jerusalem, hundreds of people. One time Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time. Hundreds of people are walking around Jerusalem going, Jesus is alive. I saw him. He was dead. He was in the grave. He's alive. And here's the thing. Some people try to figure out why he's in the grave. And we're going to talk about some of that next week. You know, everybody agrees that he was, he was crucified and that he was laid in the tomb. Everybody agrees the tomb was empty. So you got to figure out why is the tomb empty? Some people said that he swooned, that, you know, he was beaten so badly and, and he lost so much blood that he's on the cross and he just kind of swoons and he faints. But that, that this is, this is, I love the swoon theory because you put Jesus in the tomb and the swoon theory says that in the cool of the tomb that he was revived. All right. We've got some paramedics here, right? What, ha- what do you do with somebody who's had trauma? Do you, do you put them in a cool place? Drive fast. <laughs> you drive fast. You know why they cover up a body? Because they're going to go into shock. If Jesus had been beaten beyond recognition and you lay him in a cool tomb, he's not going to revive. And if he, even if he did and he shows up to his, his followers, you know what they're going to say? They're not going to go, oh, you're the son of God. They're going to say, we need a doctor because you're jacked up. I mean, you've seen somebody? I've had, to, I've had to, a friend of mine let me stitch his hand one time. That was awesome. My kids were little and it was at the table. And anyway, short story. I'll, I'll tell you the long version later. Caleb is eating lasagna. I don't remember what Rachel's doing. Hannah was too young to even know what was going on. But my three kids are there as I'm sewing up this big old gash in this dude's hand. Anyway, that that has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was funny. (laughs) What the dude needed was a doctor, not the preacher to sew his hand up, right? Because the first time I went through, you know, the cuts here, I came out about an inch and a half below the thing. And he didn't have any pain medication. And he go, this is a tough dude. He's a, he's a former sniper, a Marine. And he's got his hand there and he goes, mm, you better back it out. And I'm like, oh, I pull it back out. And so I do it again. I, I got three stitches on there. It's the craziest thing ever. If Jesus had revived in the tomb and come out looking like he came out, nobody would have thought he's the son of God. They would have rushed him to a doctor to a hospital. You see, everything we believe and know uh, as Christians is founded upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody knew he was dead. He came back to life and it changed them. And, And see, you know, I don't know about you, but if a guy can be dead and rise from the dead, I'm with him. I don't care what he teaches. You teach me anything. If you have, because we're afraid of getting dead, right? People aren't afraid of being dead because I've never had a dead person go, you know, I really don't like the way I died. People are afraid of getting dead, right? We're worried about that. That's why you get scared right before you have a wreck or something. You get scared because you're afraid of getting dead. Jesus got dead and came back to life. I'm with him, right? And, and I've told this many, many times. That's the significance of the resurrection. Because if you knew he was dead and he came back to life, you would change everything you believed too. 
I read years ago, and I've shared this all the time at, at funerals, but I read about a Buddhist in Africa who changed to Christianity. And he was asked, that's kind of a radical change from Buddhism to Christianity. Why would you make that change? And he said, it's like this. If you're walking down the road, you come to a fork in the road, and there are two guys there. One's dead and one's alive. Which, which one's directions are you going to follow? And I pictured this. I was thinking, you know, the dead guy, because we've seen this in movies, right? When people are looking for the right way, and they come, and the dead guy's laying there, and he's pointing. Every other world religion has a dead guy pointing somewhere. And people are running off. The dead guy pointed this way. It must be the way. And this Buddhist said, if I came across somebody who's alive and he said, let me show you the way or you're going you're to go the way that the dead guy points. Now you can be stupid if you want to. That's your choice. But I'm going to follow the live guy. Right? That's what the Buddhist said. Makes sense to me. Now there's a book in the Bible written by a guy, na- guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor, he was a physician, and he was very, very meticulous, and he went around 35 years after Jesus uh, was resurrected, went back to heaven, he went about 35 years afterwards, he started writing this down. Nobody was writing down the stories because Jesus said, I'm going to come back, and his followers were like, you're coming back, we'll wait. They sold everything, we'll just wait. Come on back, Jesus. And, and so finally, God moved Luke to write down the book of Luke. He eyewitnessed testimony and incredible accuracy and details that he put down there. And then after that, he follows around the disciples and he writes the next book called Acts, which was, we call it the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Either way, but we shorten it just to Acts and we talk about the book of Acts. It was him going around watching what was going and documenting the early things that were going on in the, in the church. And so he was writing it down and, and here's what's going on in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles or if you want to go on U version, we're going to read a whole lot of verses here in a second. Now... This is early in Acts, and chapter 3 is where we're going to pick it up in verses 14 and 15, if you want to look that up. Now, Jerusalem was in uproar at this point. Romans are worried. Jews are worried. Thousands of Jewish, uh, Jewish people are claiming to follow a guy who's raised from the dead, Jesus. Jews are going to lose control of their city. They're worried that they're going to have everything taken away by the Romans. Peter and John are in charge of the resurrectionists. They're the ones that are preaching in Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Christ. And one day they are going to the temple because they would go to the temple every day to pray. And so it's the ninth hour. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon and they're walking up and there's a guy who was born. He's 40 years old, but he was born lame. He could not walk from the time of birth till he was around 40 years old. They're walking along and he's begging because that's all he can do. He can't hold a job. They're walking along and, and Peter, the Bible says, looks at him and he says, look at me. And so the Bible says that this beggar turns and looks at him expecting to get some money. And Peter goes, hey, dude, I I don't have any money. Sorry. But what I do have, let me give you. And so, you know, beggar's going, sure. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, you know how muscles work, right? You don't use them, you lose them. Dude never had them. And the Bible says that right there in front of him, his legs got strong, his ankles got strong. The dude stood up, walked, and leaped. And praised God. And they said that he walked and leapt into the temple with them. I mean, if I hadn't walked in 40 years, woo, God's good. Check them out. There they are. They go into the temple and it causes such a, a, a crazy stir that thousands of people crowd around them. And Peter starts teaching them. And, and look what he says in, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. He's talking to these people. Man, Peter just didn't hold anything back. He says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. How is that for politically correct? 
You disowned God. It gets better. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses. Now, Right as he's telling all of that stuff, the central theme, the central message of Jesus, of, of the Christianity is Jesus is alive. We've seen him. So many people are becoming Christ followers that the, the religious leaders decide they have to do something. That's where we pick up Acts chapter four, verse one. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching that people teaching the people that through Jesus there's resurrection from the dead. Now see, the Sadducees don't believe that anybody is resurrected. They don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're so sad, you see. (laughs) The Pharisees, there's actually a song that we teach to kids that says, the Pharisees, they put so many rules on people and they expect you to follow rules. They don't, so they're not fair, you see. Uh, Now you'll know the difference. It's lame, but it worked. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now total about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Now imagine you count women and children. I'm a conservative estimate. Probably as many as 10,000 people were followers of Christ. And, And they're saying, I know what mom and dad said. I went to church my whole life. Good Jews, they went to church their whole life. They knew the Old Testament scriptures could probably quote most of the Old Testament for you. And they said, but when a man who is dead comes back to life, I'm with him regardless of what mom and dad say. So overnight, thousands of people become Christ followers. Was it because of a good sermon? No. It was because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pick it up in verse 5. The next day, the council of the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. Now, if you're, if you're Luke, why include all of these names? Because everybody knew who they were. Some of them were probably still alive. And Luke's saying, you don't believe me? Go talk to them. Or at least their relatives are still alive. And and you have to go and talk to them and say, "Uh, Caiaphas, were you there? Yeah, I was there. You know, because he's given you details, accurate details. The scripture is accurate. Every time they find something in archaeology, they'll say something for years. They'll say, oh, this isn't true. This isn't true. And then 40 or 50 years later, they'll discover it and they'll go, the Bible is remarkably accurate. And so he's he's just giving you some accuracy there. Uh, Verse 7, I believe that is. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? I love this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. Now this is a couple of months, eight weeks, maybe 10, 12 weeks after Jesus was arrested, tried and crucified. And you remember what Peter and the disciples did on the night that he was arrested? They were gone. Now, Peter actually followed. And it says that he got in close and and it was cold and, and he is warming himself by the fire and a servant girl says, you were with him. And he says, no. And he cusses. No, I don't know the man. Don't know what you're talking about. Shortly after that, Jesus turns and looks at him. He remembers what Jesus said. The the rooster crows and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Now, 10 weeks later, 
He's shaking his finger in the face of the religious leaders and saying, this Jesus you crucified, I've seen him alive. You can torture me. You can do whatever you want to. You can kill me. But I'm not going to stop saying what I've seen and heard. In fact, look what he says. Verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Uh, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Let me, let me ask something. How many of you are special, have been, special training in the scriptures? Let me see your hands. So then you identify. Yeah, I see that Casey. Casey's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's got degrees, multiple degrees. So one, two of us in here have degrees. So you're ordinary people. That means you identify with the people that Jesus identified with. Ordin- but look what happens. No special training in the scriptures. They also recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. Do you know my training in the scriptures mean nothing if I don't spend time with Christ? And it's my prayer that when you hear teaching or when when I share something with you, that you recognize that I've been with Jesus. Because that's what matters. Not a degree that I hang on the wall. Since the healed man was looking at them, they didn't know what to do. And they're like, oh, this is getting out of hand. If we, if we say they didn't heal him, we'll look like fools. So we got to do something. So here's what they do down in verse 18. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, well, do you think God wants us to obey, to obey you rather than him? I would have done it with attitude. That's why I didn't get to be the dude that did it because God have to smack me down. And I will tell you that that I've quoted this verse to church leaders before who said, you can't do that. I said, well, that's between you and God, but God told me to do this. I joke about it, but it wasn't, I used to go home from deacons meetings and and Janie would say, we still got a job? Because I would pull out the scripture and I've I've had deacons say, you don't need to be bringing that Bible into our meetings. And I'd say, well, you tell me, is it right to obey God or you? Because I'm choosing him. Right? And look what they said. We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. Peter and John, eventually, actually all the followers of Christ, all the indications that we have is that every one of them died for their faith. Peter, legend tells us that Peter was crucified, but because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus, he said, no, 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 crucify me upside down. And and his torturers were like, okay. So they turned him upside down, they kill him. That's what legend says. We don't know that for sure, but that's the legend passed down, the oral tradition. John was abandoned to an island to rot. And none of them ever recanted. Because see now, if I'm, if I'm living a lie and, and you know, we got a bunch of us living a lie and they take us into custody and they say, you tell us the truth or you're going to die. How many of us are going to die for a lie? Somebody would have gone, nope, 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 you got me. I'm, I'm kidding. He's lying. No, 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 no. Not one of them did because you can't unsee what you've seen. And you can't unhear what you've heard. And Jesus was alive. And look what it says in, in, down in verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that, they, that what they owned was not, hello. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Again, they thought Jesus was coming. Come on, we'll share everything. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. The foundation of their faith was the resurrection, and it's the foundation of our faith as well. 
And another distinctive of Christianity is it's the only religion that tells you, you want to disprove Christianity? Here's the one thing you got to disprove. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 and following. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is what? And then he repeats it in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is what? And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. Lots of people tried to disprove the resurrection. And when they seriously look at it, they become Christ followers because the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is alive. Paul's saying good teaching, useless. All those helpful verses on marriage and sex and relationship and business, without the resurrection, they're useless. But here's the cool thing. Jesus rose from the dead and the resurrection was not the end. It was just the beginning of a movement that is still going strong 2,000 years later. It's the foundation of our faith and it's also the foundation of our faithfulness. Do you know the reason I'm supposed to be committed to the church and committed to telling people about Jesus Christ is because of the resurrection? Um, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Paul finishing this, this chapter. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Be faithful, why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Be faithful when it's inconvenient. Be faithful when life is hard, why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Be faithful when everyone around you is faithless, why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Be faithful when people leave, why? Because Jesus rose from the dead and this changes everything. The resurrection was such a big deal, it validated that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And, and here's the thing, we celebrate on Sundays because it was resurrection day. Thousands of years they'd worshipped on Saturdays. It was the day of rest. And can you imagine if we, we said, hey, we're going to start worshipping on Monday, everybody we're going to worship on Monday, what are you, some of you going to say? You're going to say, I got to work. Okay, great, we'll worship on Monday night. That's what they did, they worshipped on Sunday nights because Sunday was the first day of the work week. And the resurrection changed thousands of years of tradition. So they began to worship on a Sunday. If you're not a Christian, I want you to think about the resurrection. Because if it's true, you have to sign up. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this is what we're going to talk about next week. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, explain to me what caused the uproar in Jerusalem. What caused people to turn their backs on mommies and daddies and thousands of years of culture to follow a resurrected man if he did not rise? 2,000 years, we're still talking about it, and I have a feeling the reason you're here today is because you know there's more to life than what you have experienced. And you need to meet this one who resurrected. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Some of you have walked in these doors today thinking that that all this Christianity stuff is really wishful thinking. And I'm just going to challenge you to think about the resurrection of Jesus and think about the people that you heard and experienced worshiping earlier. When God has moved in my heart and when I worship, It's testimony to the power of God to save someone from their sins and to change them from a person of my past to a person who's a preacher and who has a future home in heaven. 
And, and probably 90% of this crowd has given their heart to Christ because they believe in the resurrection. It's real simple the way you do it. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And so what, around here, we just pray, God, I know I'm a sinner. If you want to pray that in your mind, just do that. And I believe Jesus died for my sins. I accept his sacrifice as payment for my sins. And as best I know how, I want to live my life for you. If you just prayed that in your heart, the Bible says that that you have been adopted into God's family. And I want you to write that on your card in just a minute. Now I want you to pray for somebody who needs to be here next week. It's going to take a few seconds in silence. I want you to pray by name for somebody who needs to be here and ask God to remove all the obstacles so that they will be here with you for Resurrection Sunday. Father, the the reality of the resurrection has changed us. And we don't want to keep the secret to ourselves. We want everybody we know and love to experience what we've experienced. So help us to share that with others and help others to come next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have uh, three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we take up our offering around here. We, God, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. That's why we holler and why we call it the joy basket. You can either give there or, yeah, two or three of you got it, joy basket. We're a weird church too, just going to tell you that. Um, but that's back there or you can give online, nlccp.com. It's a, it's a real quick process. Once you've done that, it takes less than 30 seconds to give. Every time I get paid for mowing, I go and it takes me less than 30 seconds to, to log on and, and uh, give the portion that I give back to God. Um, the second basket is our uh, registration card basket. Um, here's what we ask you to do. Fill those out, and I always ask you to write something on the back. And so I want to ask you which of the two lies, there's two lies that, that a lot of people have bought into, that Christianity is all about teaching or Christianity is all about believing enough so it'll be true. If you've fallen into one of those, just write that down, one or two. Or if you are, you are set on the, that you understand and you will share with others that the foundation of Christianity is an event, then you put number three. If you're willing to share that, put number three. I understand and I want to share that with others. Um, and then we have a third basket, which is our bagel basket. Everything that goes in there goes to building projects. And so we're having our board meeting today. We're going to talk about um, the, the parking lot and talk about the cost of all of that. And y'all are cheering now. Wait till I tell you how much it costs. And I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I haven't even shared with the board yet. I'm sharing with them today. And so we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to have to pray like crazy that God will provide. And, and I'm expecting that he's going to. He's going to do something extraordinary. Let's stand together. Next week, baptism. Um, We're going to celebrate. If you are interested in being baptized next week, write that on your card. I need to talk to you. Those of you who have already talked to you, it's okay. I know you're coming. we got five folks for sure that are going to be baptized next week, but more of you may want to do that. If you do, be sure and see me today so we'll be ready for that. Let's pray together. Father, you're awesome, and we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. Help us to live for him. In your name, amen. You're dismissed.